Okay, good. So, uh, as uh, welcome everybody, uh, it gives me a great pleasure to welcome back Johnny, uh, Johnny Brooks Bartlett, who's uh, going to talk to us about his time working in uh, in data science since uh, leaving leaving Oxford in the doctoral training centre. Um, Johnny started in in 2012 uh, in, in at the CDT in, in the uh, SysBio Systems Biology uh, Centre for Doctoral Training. Um, uh, and is now in in the real world working on uh, applied machine learning. Uh, uh, one minor note: uh, we're we're recording this um, this presentation. So, uh, for GDPR reasons, um, if you do not want to appear in the recording and want to preserve your privacy, please turn off your video and audio, uh, and you might want to change your screen name. Um, just to make sure that we we don't capture your information, um, and yeah, if you can possibly remain muted during the presentation, that would be great too. Uh, we'll have a, a little question Q and A session at the end um, uh, where we won't record, and um, so feel free to um, decloak and uh, share, um, share, ask your questions, and get involved in the conversation. So. Good. Okay. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to to Johnny. And stop sharing. Okay. Awesome. I'll share. Let's get this up. All right. Can everyone see that? Oh. I can. I can see it. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Great. So, yeah. So, um, thanks for having me, and and thank you, Garrett, for inviting me back to do this uh, to, to to speak again. Um, yeah. So, I wanted to um, go through what it's been like in data science. I've, I left Oxford in December 2016. So it's almost four years now since, I, since I've started working in industry. And I thought it would be quite uh, a nice thing to cover um, some of the things. So what I've done, but also how did I get there as well? So actually, if I go over this, this is what I'll cover. So I'll give a brief introduction to myself. Uh, then sort of how and why I got into data science, because that was one of the things I really wanted to find out when I was a graduate student thinking of leaving academia. Um, you know, how do you get into uh, industry and in particular data science was what I was thinking about. Um, then I want to go on to some of the data science projects that I've done. Um, and just hopefully to keep some people interested, I'll do... Um, a deep dive, uh, a deep is probably um, too generous a word, but I'll, I'll talk a bit more about one of the uh, machine learning problems that I've done uh, to give you a bit of context. And then I've got at the end, like to talk about some like general reflections I have, which I hope will be useful um, in just thinking about um, what data science and machine learning is like in industry. Um, so yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that. So brief introduction. At the moment, I, I work as a senior machine learning engineer at Spotify, and today is my one month anniversary there. So I've I've not long joined Spotify, so I'm still a newbie, still learning or find my way around things. Um, but I've actually been a data scientist in industry for for almost four years, and I'll speak a little bit about the difference between my experience of being a data scientist and what at least some expectations are of being a machine learning engineer um, as well, because I think there are differences depending on, on what, what companies you go to and, and how they define it. Um, but before doing that, I was a grad student 
Um, and before that, an undergrad student. So I did a maths degree at the University of Southampton um, first. And then, um, as Garrett said, I, I joined Oxford um, in 2012 on the systems biology. Back then it was called a DTC, the Doctoral Training Centre, and now it's um, Centre for Doctoral Training now. Um, but yeah, the systems biology uh, CDT. Um, and that's a picture of me in the lab in biochemistry when I was able to grow more hair um, and looking at protein crystals down a microscope when I actually was doing stuff and not just in front of a computer. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Uh, but I want to go and spend a bit more time uh, on how and why I got into data science. Um, so how did it happen? I've been um, in a graduate student for about two and a half years and I started thinking to myself, I don't think academia is a thing that I want to continue doing. Uh, and there are a few reasons for this. Um, one was this like publish or perish um, sort of, uh, I don't know, thing that, 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 that taints some of the practices. So, you know, I, I felt there are times where it was, we were doing enough just to get published and not necessarily to do the best science out there and and that sort of tainted at least my perspective of 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 academia because I, I you know i got into it i got into doing a dfil because i said to myself i'm going to be a professor one day that was that was the plan um but yeah i i it that that sort of tainted some of it for me um then i started um talking to some of the postdocs um in the lab and i didn't think the postdoc life sort of complemented um like family life very well. I'd been in a long-term relationship and, um, you know, we're thinking about starting a family and, you know, with postdocs, you've typically got like short fixed term contracts, maybe like two to five years in any one go. And you might be going hopping from place to place, um, whether it's in the UK or outside. And, and so I thought, okay, I wouldn't be able to, to necessarily do that. Um, and then also, I, I didn't have the best work-life balance during a PhD. And maybe some of you also um, uh, like sympathize with this in the sense that you might work very late in evenings and you might also work weekends. And you don't give yourself a break because you, you often feel that if you're not doing work, then you're not being productive. And, and um, yeah, I, I sort of felt all of those things. So... That they, these were my sort of perceptions and my the way I saw things. And some of you may feel the same. Some of you may disagree with, with this. Um, but yeah, these were the sort of things that were going through my mind as to why I didn't want to stay in academia. Um, so what did I want? Well, I, I started to enjoy writing code. And this was something that was very different because during my undergraduate degree, during, during maths, when I was told that we were going to do a programming course, I absolutely hated that. Um, and I would do whatever modules I could to not program because I liked pen and paper maths. Um, but yeah, during the, the, the PhD, I, I worked in a lab with a computer scientist and, you know, it sort of got me writing code and got me liking some of it, like liking it. So I like doing that. I like complex analysis as well. I loved all the data analysis, loved like writing down the maths and looking at graphs and then trying to understand it all. So that's what I really liked and I wanted to continue doing. Um, I also wanted a bit of job security as well. You know, as I said, I wanted to, you know, I was in a long-term relationship. I wanted to start a family. Um, and, and so it was something that where I wanted something that was, was, was secure and stable. 
Um, and I also wanted to be intellectually stimulated. So that was one of my worries about going into industry. I actually worried that if I left academia, I wouldn't be intellectually stimulated, but I knew it was something I really wanted. So, um, oh, and the other thing is money's pretty sweet too. Um, um, yeah, it's, you know, you're gonna get paid well in, in, in industry as well. Um, so, found out about data science. Uh, you know, I'd read articles about it and, and it just seemed like a sweet deal. It seemed like everything I wanted. I got to code, got to do data analysis, uh, got job security, money and, and all of that. And it was, it was great. I'm like, okay, I think I know what it is I want to do. Um, but, but, I don't know if you have the same sort of opinions or views, but it, when you when I've read a lot of papers or articles or watched a lot of videos, they often talk about the things at the state of the art. And, you know, here are a few examples, some like a couple of these examples uh, happened after I joined, um, uh, left academia and in, in industry. But they're always talking about like really these like state of the art neural networks and reinforcement learnings and these uh, probabilistic graphical models that were like really, really cool. Um, and I was like, I don't know how to do any of that. Like, I, I, I don't. I didn't do what I thought was machine learning during my, my PhD. Um, you know, I could code, but I wasn't the greatest software engineer out there. Um, and yeah, I just, how, do you, how do you, like, help and write code for a self-driving car? Like, who, 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 who does that? So that's kind of where I was at with that. So I thought to myself, I need to develop some skills. So I decided to do a boot camp. Um, and to do this, I, I figured that I'd need to write my thesis early. So I spent like six, seven weeks, like head down during the summer of 2016 and just got, got the thesis written up as soon as I could in the summer. So I could take five weeks out to do this boot camp, science to data science or S2DS. Um, so yeah, and on that bootcamp, uh, you know, we get put in different teams and we're asked to complete a project for a company. Um, and we're not paid to do this. In fact, I had to pay the privilege of, uh, pay 800 pounds for the privilege to, to do work for a company. Um, but it, it, it gave me some experience to put on the CV um, and a network as well. And, and actually it helped me get my first job. So I, I, I shouldn't complain about it. It was 800 pounds worth spent. Um, but I, I won't play the video uh, or, or like I wrote an article about this. Um, the slides and all the links um, I've said you can have, it's available along with this recording, but you can watch it in your own time. It's, it's in the article, it's linked on there. Um, it's on YouTube if you want, um, but I hate watching myself back. So I'm going to skip this. But yeah, but after the boot camp, I, I went, I interviewed and, and found a job um, in the end and, and ended up uh, as a data scientist and I'm happy to to answer questions on on that process if you get to the end um, but I'm going to skip that and talk about applications of data science and machine learning in industry so what I've covered so far I've just had a brief introduction to myself one slide and then I've just talked about how and why I got into data science so now what I want to do is I just want to talk about some of the some of the the things that or the ways in which data science and machine learning um, applies in industry. Um, and the important thing to, to note here is that it's it's far from an exhaustive list. So, um, of course, this sort of statement is used 
all the time. Um, but I, it's far from exhaustive because I don't know all of the applications, right? I've, I've not been around it. So I've actually given a list of things that I, and projects that I've been involved with. So here are some of the machine learning specific projects that I've been involved with. Um, so like first off in the STDS bootcamp I talked about, um, I was doing price optimization for different products. So it was a company called the Parts Alliance. They like distribute and sell car parts. And we were asked to do a project to work out um, how can we like price their products such that they could maximize revenue. Um, so that was, you know, the sort of uh, the first project I got ever got involved in. Um, and then when I finally got my first job at a company called News UK, um, I got more sort of like NLP, natural language processing style projects. Um, so working with text. And so we're looking at automated tag, tag extraction. So this is things like there's a news article, who's in it and what's it about? And, you know, should I extract Theresa May? Is it about her? Um, is it a, a sports article and things like that? So trying to get a model to automatically extract those things from articles. And largely this is done um, this was a project there because they hadn't actually tagged their articles. And so for years they had, um, I can't remember how many articles, but we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of articles that were untagged. And so they were, you know, unsearchable, you know, they're, they're, they, um, they're not easy to find if they haven't got their tagged metadata with them. Um, there's a bit of anomaly detection, um, possibly the most ambitious project I've ever been involved with and that includes all of my time now is this automated fact checker for news articles um, safe to say that project was not completed and I'll talk about some of the projects that didn't get completed later on um, but this the idea here is that when a news article is is um, written by a journalist it has to be fact checked by sub editors um, and so you know you've got people who go through the article and try and find sources online that will verify those statements. And uh, I mean, I remember one example where it had gone wrong, which was an article that was published by the Times where they, I think NASA had sent a probe to Jupiter and with the numbers that they'd given, they basically said that the probe would reach Jupiter in like 40 days or something like that. So ridiculously quick. Um, so it was like traveling way too fast. Um, and that's the sort of stuff that we're trying to find. So can you write a machine learning model that would scan text, find out what parts of the text are actual statements, and then go and do automated queries to find valid sources to then check that statement for its uh, factual validity. Um, that was, that was uh, a, a really tough project. We, we got some somewhere with it, but... Um, the, a lot of the, the natural language processing tools weren't uh, that are state of the art now weren't available when we were doing this back in 2017. Um, I know that 2017 doesn't sound that long ago, but in at least natural language processing terms, that is an age away. Um, so yeah, the, it, we, we weren't able to do it with enough um, precision. But yeah, then I moved on to delivery. And we start looking at things like compensation abuse. So when, um, assuming people are familiar with Deliveroo, I'll talk a bit more about it um, after this because that's one of the deep dive projects I'll go into. But um, yeah, it's it's basically an app that you can order on like food with. Um, and so you can order food, but then you can claim compensation if your food's cold or items are missing. 
Um, and so sometimes people that do that aren't actually being genuine. The food arrived absolutely perfectly and um, they just want a bit of cash, surprise, surprise. So you're trying to detect that. Um, automated menu classification. Is this menu Italian? Has it got pizza? Um, things like that, or, or, or you know, is it is it um, Mediterranean? Um, so we're trying that. And then restaurant ranking recommendations. This is probably the project that I've spent the longest amount of time doing, probably a year and a half, I think. Um, so that's the one I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive on. Um, but yeah, and now now I've moved to Spotify. I will be working on uh, search relevance. So I'm in the search relevance team at Spotify. So when you actually, so assuming uh, for those that don't know what Spotify is, it's a music streaming platform. So you can go on and stream music. So you can search when you use a search functionality, you get results. And I'll be working on I'm be I'm on a team that works on trying to make those results more relevant. Um, so yeah, that's what I'll be doing. So that's like a bit of an overview about some of the projects that I've been involved with. Um, and they're, they're specifically machine learning projects. As a data scientist, not everything you do is machine learning. In fact, most of the stuff that you do is not machine learning. Um, and then some of the machine learning projects, uh, non-machine learning projects I've been involved in. Um, so often it's about providing data. People just want to see the right graphs, you know? Like, so you've got people that want data because they want to make decisions and they want to make informed decisions. So dashboards are absolutely huge um, in, in industry. You know, there'll be people that will be looking at dashboards and looking at figures and dashboards to make decisions about, uh, you know, the, the work that they're going to do, what actions to take next. Um, so, one was uh, this building this Slack bot. So in the editorial team at the Times, they didn't want to go through dashboards per se. They wanted to be able to ask the questions. So what I did was I built a little bot. So Slack, for those that don't know, it's a like a messaging tool. Um, imagine if if you haven't used it. Imagine you have a load of group chats on WhatsApp, and you have the ability to organize all those groups and direct message people in the company. That's kind of what it's like. But Slack allows you to build these bots that are basically like algorithms that can like post messages and extract things and show things. So I wrote a Slack bot that basically responded. So whenever an editor would write, can you give me the top 10 articles that in the sports section today, it would actually take that um, question turn it into a SQL query, uh, query our database, and then return those results. Um, and they absolutely loved that, like, because they wanted to, in, they wanted a natural language interface. That's what they do, they, they speak in words and they wanted to use English to query things, not, not code or, or dashboards. Um, the Chrome extension was just, uh, if you use the Google Chrome browser, they could just click on a button and it would bring up facts about an article. Um, A-B tests, for those that don't know, an A-B test is basically, um, you call them experiments as well in industry often, um, but they're not like your lab experiments. They basically, you've created one feature, let's say you added a button somewhere in your app, and now you wanna test if it's good. So in your A group, they don't have the button, in your B group, B group, they do have the button, and you test to see if you get increased click-through rate or uptake or whatever it is you want to measure. 
Um, so I've conducted several of those um, and also lots and lots of ad hoc analysis. So that's what I call, um, this is just what happens when someone asks for, for some information and this will happen a lot, um, particularly around COVID when, 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 sorry, uh, um, in, when the first lockdown hit back in March, uh, I was working at Deliveroo and, you know, the things changed a lot. A lot of restaurants had, had closed because they couldn't be open. Uh, but a lot of people still wanted their essentials. So, you know, they were like, Johnny, like, what's, what, are, what are the consumers demanding now? So, you know, I start analyzing a lot of search results and I find out people um, want a lot more groceries all of a sudden and things like that. So then that tells people, oh, we've got to get lots of um, uh, grocery stores on, on, on the app. So you've probably you may have seen that Deliveroo, along with, I imagine, Just Eat and Uber Eats and, and a lot of the competitors have, have got, you know, different grocery stores and convenience stores like Co-op and Marks and Spencers and, and even maybe a local petrol station. Um, so yeah, so there's lots of, uh, lots of things like that. So there, that's like a sort of overview about some of the things that I've done. I want, I've got two more sections now. So this one is gonna be a deep dive, uh, talking a bit more about a particular machine learning problem that I did at uh, Deliveroo. And then the last section, I, I wanna talk about um, some general reflections that I've had. So hopefully I'll be about 20 or so minutes and then hopefully that'll give us a bit over 15 minutes for, for questions. So I hope that will be, hope that's gonna be enough. Um, cool. So just so you're all aware, like the slides that I'm going to show you. So I actually made this presentation at Deliveroo. They're available online. I've given this talk multiple times. Um, and so the video of the full talk, so I'm, what I'm going to do here is a section of it, but the full talk is online. So there is nothing, so it's all publicly available already. So I'm not showing you anything that you have to um, keep to yourself. Uh, and, and yeah, I've given links to uh, the slide and two videos that, uh, that of, of the full talk. If you are interested in learning more than what I'm about to tell you, then, then you can go on and, and hear about that. So that, that talk is just me talking about how we do restaurant ranking at delivery. Um, cool. So first things first, again, for those who like haven't used delivery before, delivery is largely a software platform. So it's, it's an app essentially that connects different entities and we call this a free, a three sided marketplace. So you've got restaurants uh, and they're connected to consumers through riders that deliver food to those consumers essentially and on on the on the um, restaurant side there's we've tens of thousands of restaurants and tens of thousands of riders um, and what you may not know is delivery doesn't just operate in the uk so it operates in um well as of the time i left uh, in september it was in 13 countries um when i wrote this it was 14 they just they put a journey um like uh, summer 2019 sometime um but yeah, so they operate globally. Um, and so, yeah, it, that's, that's a sort of scale of, of how Deliveroo operates. And it's, it's a platform that basically, if you haven't used it, this is what you see when you open the app. Um, you uh, essentially, we've got um, a list of restaurants and we want to be able to show those restaurants um, in a, a, an optimal order. Actually, I, I get to that. So. I started a team, well, not, not me, I didn't start the team, but I started in the team that 
was created in October 2018 called Merchandising Algorithms. And so we're newly formed and we decided that our first goal, our initial goal was going to be, let's present the most relevant restaurants to the consumer at the top of the feed, right? So you open the app and given who you are, what you've ordered before, what we have available, what should we show you at the top that you will most likely want? Um, and so bear in mind, this particular thing, this goal is a business problem. There's nothing machine learning about this. And this is one of the things that you'll end up doing if you decide to do data science is you need to take a business objective and then decide, can I solve this with a machine learning approach or does it need something simpler? Does it, is it even something that is, is something I can solve? Often the people that ask that question don't know and don't care uh, at, at this point. They just they they think you're a data scientist. You've got the data. You can solve any and every problem. You have to then work out whether you can solve the problem and give them the answer, whether they like it or not. Um, but this was one in which we believe that machine learning um, was a good candidate for. So we created a model to rank those restaurants. Um, now, bear in mind, I've said, given a list of restaurants, like we want to present um, the the most optimal restaurants. What do we mean by optimal? Again, what, what, well, what we've said here is we want to rank in order of relevance to, con to the consumer. That was our uh, definition of optimal. Bear in mind, this can change. So the business might say, I don't care about the relevance to the customer. I care about the profit. So, you know, can we rank such that I'm going to get the most profit? Or can we rank so that it's the most fair and we get the highest distribution um, like spread of orders across different restaurants or something like that. So you have to define what we mean by optimal. And again, when a lot of like, say, you know, someone who presents the question to you from the business and says, oh, just, just present these restaurants optimally, uh, they often don't define what optimal is. Uh, and, and so it's up to you to make sure you define that problem space. Um, again, it's just one of the things that as a data scientist in industry, you learn how to do. There's, there's the machine learning and there's a data science, there's a the technical stuff, but then there's also the soft skills and the, the, the business skills that you have to develop as well. So we've said that optimal, we want to rank in order of relevance, but how do we quantify this? At the moment, this is all qualitative. It's wishy-washy. How can I quantify this so that I can build a machine learning solution to this? Um, so the first thing I want to do is I want to say, what does relevance mean and how can we measure that something is relevant to a, to a, to a consumer? So, um, one of these, I, I call these online metrics and they're often called online metrics. What I mean by this by online is that users see these, uh, in reality. So we're going to show a ranking of restaurants and users are going to see that ranking and then they're going to order they're going to place an order this is in contrast to an offline metric when say you might be running a machine learning model locally on your laptop on your machine and so you have to measure something uh, different and i'll talk about online metrics later but online metrics we're talking about order volume so this is just a proxy for something being relevant right so we're assuming here that if order volume goes up with my ranking, uh, then 
those restaurants I ranked were probably more relevant. That's, that's the proxy. And again, we have session level conversion. We've stopped using it. I won't go into the details of that, but it's, it's to do with the fact that it's a, it's a quotient and it's hard to interpret um, changes in, in that number. But we did initially start with looking at that. So when we're framing the problem, um, if you've done some machine learning before in the past, you'll know that you'll, you'll need what in machine learning speak is called a target variable. Um, this here, we've got our target, which is given a list of restaurants, what restaurant did the user purchase from here? I've done made purchase. I've called it converted. We often say convert. If I say order or purchase or convert, I'm using them interchangeably. So on the left-hand side, we have one session. And a session is just, assume it's, it's something where I open the app, I have a look at some stuff, don't like it, I close the app. That's one session. That's a session that did not convert because I didn't purchase anything. But then in the evening, I open the app again, have a look, this time I do buy. That's a session that converted. And that's a separate session to the first one. So, or a session can be different users. So on the session on the left, someone converted on, on Itsu, whereas on the session on the right, someone converted on the Bagel Factory in position one. Um, and yeah, they, the, that list can be hundreds. In, in, in um, central London, that list is like thousands and same in Paris, it's, it's huge because there's so many restaurant options. Um, so we decided to frame this as a classification problem. Um, I won't go into the technical details here, um, as I said, you can, you can watch the video and I'll uh, talk a little bit more about it. But the idea as a classification problem is what we'll do is we'll say, take a restaurant, how likely is the user to purchase from that restaurant? And then we'll give it a score. I'm gonna use score and probability interchangeably again here. Um, but if you're uh, technical and, and you know that often with different classification models, you don't get a well calibrated probability. So it's probably better that I use the word score, but I have used probability here um, just because people find it easier to say what's the probability that someone's going to convert. Um, again, sometimes in the business, in industry, you end up using words because it's easier for people to understand. Um, but yeah, essentially it's a score. How likely they are to convert between zero and one. Um, and we can use the logarithmic loss function, which is on the right, um, to, to train the model. Um, so the idea here now is we've got our target variable. Are they going to convert on a restaurant or not? Now I need to find out what the, the dependent variables are, or in machine learning, we call those features. So here on the, on the right, you can see we've used features like how long will it take for the, re for the order to arrive? What's the popularity of the restaurant? Did they get a lot of orders in the last 30 days? What's the restaurant rating? Or does the restaurant have an image on the app? Sometimes they don't have images. And all of these things um, are factors into whether someone will purchase from that restaurant or not. Um, but yeah, and then there's some function, some machine learning model that will take those features and output some score. Um, the important thing first, start simple and iterate. Um, you know, we didn't start off with a machine learning model. Um, it was just a weighted average of the restaurant's popularity and uh, estimated time of the order arriving. Um, and this starting simple allows you to build infrastructure to, to like what we say, we serve that ranking. So actually present the ranking to users. And I'll talk a bit more a bit later about what I mean by like the serving infrastructure around it, because that's actually very important. 
But once we were able to do that, we built the infrastructure, we could then look at using different models. So we moved on to logistic regression and then we started using more complex models a bit later, uh, like neural networks. Um, but then when we wanted to evaluate these models, so before we actually present them to users, we want to evaluate are, you know, are the ranking algorithms we're creating, are they actually any good? So these are what we call offline metrics, metrics that we, we um, measure on, on our um, laptop. And bear in mind, I should say, before I started this project, I'd never done any ranking at all in my life, like in a machine learning sense. So if you're looking at some of this stuff and you're like, what is going on? I too was in the same position as you as a grad student. Like, so don't feel like all of this has to make sense because it only made sense to me what, two years ago now um, that I started looking at, at these things. Um, but essentially these, like all of this stuff I'm talking about, like, you know, you guys are already at a, a world-class university. It won't take you long to, to learn and do. And that's largely what I do is I don't know how to do it to start off with. And then I just learn on a job. Um, but yeah, we have a bunch of these offline metrics. The one that we used was called mean reciprocal rank. Um, the way that's calculated, if you just, I've got five columns here, just look at the column on the far left. So in that column on the far left, there's five different rectangles. We call them restaurant cards. And I've written converted on the card that's in the fourth position down. So that says its rank is four. So its reciprocal rank is one over four. And I do that for every single one of these columns, every single session. So now I've got a bunch of reciprocal ranks. I can then take the mean of that, and that is called the mean reciprocal rank. That is a, a an evaluation metric um, in in like information retrieval, they call it, or, or ranking. And the idea is it's a number between zero and one. If you place the converted restaurant at the very top of the list in every session, then your mean reciprocal rank will be equal to one. So you want to get it as close to that as possible because that suggests that you're re you're permuting the list, you're changing the list such that the the most desirable thing is highest up. That's the idea for this. Um, so that was like the, all the separate pieces in terms of like the workflow. How did we do this? Well, I said we needed to get the data. We need to pull out the sessions. We need to pull out all the features. So we have a data warehouse and we write a bunch of SQL um to to extract that data from a database and then we write all of the the rest of the code in python so we we validate the the model we train several models say i've got n models for each one each a single model is one permutation of that of that list so i can calculate the mean reciprocal rank for all of the sessions for one model so that would be mrr1 and then i can do that for all the different models and the best one uh, is is the one with the highest mean reciprocal rank. That's the model we then choose to go into production. Um, if you listen to the rest of my talk, I will talk about why that was not a good idea um, and why mean reciprocal rank in our case wasn't a best evaluation metric, but I won't go into that here. Um, but once we've chosen that model, we then run the A-B test. So what I was saying is half of the people in group A get the original ranking, half of them in group B get the new ranking. And then uh, we test to see, did the order volume go up or did the session level conversion go up? If it did, great, then we roll out the new model. If not, then we need to think again. 
um, and, and iterate. And this is a completely iterative process. So even if we do well and we, we get a successful experiment, there's probably features we missed out or there's um, a new better model that we can use. So this is completely iterative. So you can keep going through this cycle, um, picking up different projects elsewhere in a team, but, but this is a particular thing that will keep going. Um, and yeah, so then I say this is current work. Back then it was current work, but we, we started looking at more complex models. And on the right is a wide and deep neural network, which we, we used and implemented, which is currently um, in production at Deliver at the moment. So that's that. Um, those, that is like a sort of deep dive into one of the, the projects that I've done. As I said, more information from, from the video or feel free to ask me questions and I can talk a bit more about it in detail if, if you're interested. Um, but I want to talk a bit about general reflections that I've had from working in data science. I think like for me, this is like the, the most fun bit about writing this presentation was thinking about like, what, what do I actually think about my time? First off is machine learning models need to be in production to provide value, right? So if I just train a model and it's on my laptop, great, that's cool, I've learned something, but it's not gonna do anything for, for your company. Like unless users are using it or people are making decisions of it, um, it's, it's not providing any value. Um, and actually getting machine learning models into production is not an easy thing to do. So I, at the time of, of, I wrote this presentation a couple of weeks ago, um, I was in the middle of reading an article and in the first paragraph, it states this, this is a company, VentureBeat, reports that 87% of data science projects don't make it to production. And another one says that it's 90%. Although the second one actually talks specifically about machine learning projects rather than data science projects. Um, but I've linked the source at the bottom, Stack Overflow blog is a link to the article I was reading, but I've also linked to the two separate articles in case you're interested. But this is a large, like really, really big problem. I think a lot of what people read about and do and what I had thought about data science was, oh, I'm going to build machine learning models. I'm going to do amazing stuff. I'll be doing these neural networks and all this, you know, this cool stuff. But most of the time, it's not, it doesn't make it to production. And it's, so it's, it becomes useless. Um, and so what I was saying before is learning, if someone from the business asks you a question, you have to decide whether you're able to answer that question. That is a huge skill because if I just say yes all the time, it's going to end up with most of my projects failing. Um, and I mentioned about serving infrastructure briefly. I said I'd talk about it. So this is a figure from a paper published by Google, I think it was 2015. And what you see in the middle is it, there's this black ML code. That is the amount of machine learning code required to get something into production but there's a whole bunch of stuff around this that needs to be built in order to, to actually make your machine learning model or any data science product you do useful and, and use them into in uh, used in production. Um, and often like, like data scientists themselves don't usually have the, the, the skills to do that. Um, and I, I don't, I didn't. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to switch. This is the reason why I switched to machine learning engineer is because I want to learn the skills to get a bit more um, into all of the other parts of this infrastructure so that I can be less reliant on other people to get models into production. 
So I went back to the seven the machine learning models I mentioned I was involved with before. And the ones with the green circles, sorry for anyone that's colorblind, but that's why I made the shapes different as well. For the circles, uh, they're the only two uh, machine learning projects I've done that have actually made it to production. All of the other ones haven't made it to production. Uh, and so haven't provided the value other than perhaps learning that we can't do this or this was not the right time. Um, so yeah, I can talk about all this cool stuff, but whenever you go to like conferences and stuff, you get that evil person in the audience. He's just like, at the end, ask a question, did it go, is it in production? Uh, and that's when you hear the speaker start to squirm because they'll talk about all this cool stuff, but it doesn't make it there. Um, so that's one thing. Secondly, second reflection, end goal is not the output of the model. It's the decision that it informs or the action that's taken. So take, for example, the project I was doing on compensation abuse. We were meant to get a machine learning model to decide uh, or, or to work out if the compensation claim was abusive or not. That, wasn't gonna, that model wasn't going to make that decision. It was going to give a score that would go to a customer service representative who would ultimately make the decision based on other things she uh, he, she or he saw i say she because we were working with with um uh, a lady when when doing this um but yeah it was them who who were going to make that call um so that was that's the that's the thing so with the machine learning model it's not the output specifically of that model it is the action that it's taken or the decision that it informs that's the important bit um, so here it's the, the model itself doesn't have intrinsic value. Um, so that's, that's another thing. So when you're doing a project, you have to figure out what is it going to be used, uh, used for? How is it going to be used? Who's going to use it? Um, baselines and current solution, they can be hard to beat. Like, you know, a lot of the times you'll see in these articles and all these things about deep learning, um, models being the, the best solution and coming out and beating state of the art. Often that, that's in uh, like certain cases, particularly cases with unstructured data, like images and text and things like that. Um, for a lot of structured data and tabular format data, a linear model will, if it doesn't beat a, a deep, deep uh, neural net, like it will do basically as good a job. Um, and we've found that. So for, for, for up until this year, um, the dispatch algorithm at delivery that decides when to um, dispatch riders to go and pick up an order was a linear model. It's just a, a linear regression model. Um, and that does the trick. It does the job. It does very well. Um, so yeah, it, and, and sometimes it's a case that even you don't need a model to do it. You need a human. So it, when I worked at News UK, for the sun, we're trying to work out what, what articles to promote um, on social media. Now, if anyone's read the sun, I, I don't know how many of you do. I don't, I still don't. But like, um, yeah, talking to one of the editors and she was like, um, nudity and celebrity deaths. She's like, as soon as that's in an article, that's gonna blow up. I don't need a model to tell me that. And she's, she's right. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of the things that we're talking about. Like, Think about when a model is actually needed. Um, plan how you're going to show that you're. You, plan how you're going to show that you've added value. So, 
you can release a, a machine learning model, you can release a, some sort of data science um, product, um, but ultimately someone's got to be convinced that it's actually doing the right thing. Because as, as much as we might be quantitative and, and you know, influenced by, by data, um, there are uh, a hell of a lot of people in industry who aren't. And sometimes they just need a story um or, or or the right sell um and that was the case in particular at news uk so at Deliveroo and at spotify they use a lot of a b tests um and so we do just test if it actually is good but at news uk we didn't do any of that we just needed the right person to be convinced um and so it was about how are we going to sell this story um and the, the, the last thing i'm going to cover i'm going to be brief here because i actually want to give time for questions so is data science is just an incredibly broad term. There are so many different skill sets that come with being a data scientist. Um, I forgot to put on here, so I put on afterwards, there's a link to the article that I actually got this, these um, definitions from. But yeah, as a data scientist, sometimes people think you'll know absolutely everything. I sit, uh, I worked at Deliver as a data scientist in algorithms. So I, you know, I'm not an expert in inference and, and causal relationships. Um, nor am I great at, or, or necessarily an expert in analytics and building the right dashboards and knowing what new metrics to create. Um, they are different skill sets. And I think that um, knowing your type of skill set and knowing that you don't have to be all that broad um, is an important thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to summarize there. I, I talked about how and why I went into data science, covered some projects I've done in the last four years. Um, but then I ended up talking about a bit more about the ranking problem and some some reflections. So I hope that has been somewhat useful. I know not technical, but that was my intention was not to give a incredibly technical talk, but to give you at least some reflection on on that. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the end.